And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. That is from the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 26 and 27. And I'm just going to reiterate it. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Good evening, Los Angeles, and welcome back to the Apologetics.com radio show. I wanted to start off this show with a bit of a disclaimer. Uh, what you're about to hear are statements that are not supported in any way by myself, by my guest, or by this radio ministry. And here they are. All white people are racists. They will always be racists. White people are not human. And white people are demons. Now, if these statements sound shocking to you, and I think they should be, it is important for you to know that these are the teachings that have been and are being taught throughout our nation in local and state governments, as well as through various corporations. They are being described as racial sensitivity training sessions, but what they are actually teaching are the tenets of what is known as critical race theory which we will be unpacking a bit more tonight in this show. And I was going to play a brief audio clip that kind of uh, I took those statements from, but due to some third-party restrictions, uh, we are not able to play those audio clips. But that particular audio clip comes from Ashley Shackleford, who is a trainer giving a white present or a presentation to a group of white people at a workplace, and those are quotes directly from her training in which she says all white people are racist and that they will always be racist, and she goes on to further dehumanize white people and say that they are like demons, and this is disturbing, right, and um, the reason we're bringing this to your attention on an apologetics radio show is because we here at Apologetics.com are in the practice of challenging believers to think and thinkers to believe. So there's a two-fold aspect to this radio ministry. One is challenging believers, Christians, to think through these sorts of things that we find ourselves dealing with and wrestling with in society, but also challenging non-believers, those who like to think about these things, to believe, right? We want to call people to believe the gospel, that is first and foremost, reconciling people to God, right? Helping people to become uh, born again. And much of apologetics involves defending the scriptures from attacks, not only from outside the church, but from within the church. And so what do I mean by that, right? Uh, much of what apologetics is known for are arguments for the existence of God, right? Proving uh, that God certainly exists, right? or demonstrating the truth and veracity of Scripture through fulfilled prophecies, through maybe archaeological evidence or findings, through historical accuracy. And these sorts of things are super valuable, absolutely valuable, strengthening my faith, helping people come to faith, you know, to, to give a reasonable hope, you know, reasonable answer for the hope that we have as First Peter tells us. But in today's day and age, there are so many other ways in which the Bible is being attacked, not only from those uh, outside the church, unbelievers, but also from those within the church. 
And this leads to another area of apologetics. If you are familiar with any of the ancient creeds, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Chalcedonian Creed, or any of the Confessions of Faith, the Westminster Confession, the London Baptist Confession, um, these are things uh, that came about in order to maintain the purity of the church, to explicitly explain and summarize the teachings of Scripture, and to combat false teachings that were rising up in the church. The Nicene Creed, for example, came about as the Arian heresy became more widespread in the 2nd and 3rd centuries. The Arian heresy said that Christ was not God. It was similar to the Jehovah's Witnesses teaching today that Jesus is a created being. Right? Of course, we know that if Jesus is not God, then the entire gospel is meaningless as only an infinite and eternal God could rightly satisfy the eternal penalty due for the sins of mankind. And the Nicene Creed was a response from the church at large, officially, to stamp out this dangerous teaching and to keep front and center the clear teachings of Scripture. And so that is our task, not only as apologists, but just as believers, right? We are to hold everything, we'd be like the Bereans, and search the scriptures to see if what is being taught in church is true. So how does this all relate to critical race theory and apologetics? Well, for example, we will be unpacking critical race theory, but if critical race theory is contrary to the clear teachings of scripture and destructive to the nature of the gospel— then when we see these teachings finding their way into the church, these teachings that I just mentioned, that all white people are racists, that they will always be racists, if we see these sort of things coming into the church, it's our duty to raise awareness, to sound the trumpet, right, and to bring Scripture to bear on this topic. And with that being said, I would point you to another video clip, and it is of Pastor... Tim Keller, a very, very widely known, widely respected pastor and teacher in the Christian church. And he was speaking on a panel at a recent event, basically explaining that if you have white skin, the Bible says that you are involved in injustice by default. Simply for having a certain shade of skin, you have been involved in injustice. That is the teaching that came forward just recently from Tim Keller. And so he is just one example of how these sort of teachings are pervading and coming into the church, right? One other example, Matthew Hall, Dr. Matthew Hall, he is actually the provost of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, one of the world's largest Protestant seminaries, certainly one of the largest in America. In a recent video, Hall confessed to his racism when he said, I am a racist. If you think the worst thing someone can call you is a racist, then you aren't thinking biblically. I'm going to struggle with racism and white supremacy until the day I die and get a glorified body and a sanctified mind. Because I am immersed in a culture where I benefit from racism all the time. So listen, is racism a sin? Absolutely. It's a wicked, 
sin. It's a terrible sin. It is hatred for another human being, which God says hatred is murder, right? If you hate someone based on the color of their skin, the fact that they come from a different um, ethnic background, a different part of the the planet, if you hate someone for those reasons because they're different from you, you need to repent. That is a sin. Are we going to struggle with that on some level? Yes. All of us struggle with sin, and we will struggle until the day we die. But notice how Matthew Hall adds that I am racist, and I'm struggling with this because, not because I'm a sinful person, depraved sinful person, but because I am immersed in a culture where I benefit from racism all the time. And so as apologists, it is all... It is our duty to bring not only words and arguments, you know, but to point to evidences, right? We do this with the Bible. We point to evidence. We point to um, archaeology. We point to science, right? We point to multiple lines of reasoning and in order to try and defend what the Scripture says against false teachings. And so as we do this, as we unpack this, I want to introduce my good friend, Mr. Tony Yu, he has um, been on this show several times, and he has done a fair amount of research of his own into critical race theory and some of these teachings that are behind um, what's coming into the church. So that's kind of the aim of our show. We want to unpack this for you, and we want to show you why we think that this is important, that why we need to be kind of discussing this. And at apologetics.com, we've covered this. Some of our past hosts have covered this um, on some past shows. They've on tangential issues, um, critical race theory in the church and Black Lives Matter. And um, with that being said, I just want to hand it over to Tony for a minute uh, just to say hi and kind of share some of your opening thoughts, disclaimers, so to speak, um, on this topic that we're, that we're going to jump into. Hey, good night. Yeah. Jason, this is a topic that really touches my heart. I, I think it's a really important issue. I see this as something that could potentially tear apart this nation. I see lives being destroyed left and right. So I want to start by saying that we affirm the reality of individual racism in America and in the world. Racism is evil to the core. Black people have suffered horrific abuse at the hand of racists, and Jesus condemns racism. He died for that sin. In mm-hmm. Revelation 7, 9, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. When we get to heaven, we're going to see people of all colors, all languages, all cultures there. There is no space, no room for racism if you're a Christian. We agree with the phrase, black lives matter, because all people are created in the image of God. But we don't agree with the black lives matter organization or their methods or their real goals. Yeah, absolutely. That's something we want to state from the outset, right? Um, Black lives matter. There has been injustice exhibited towards people of color throughout history, right? Um, And we need to recognize that, and we need to 
empathize with our brothers and sisters, right, and fellow image bearers of God that these things have happened. Um, And to recognize that the Bible has the answer to this problem, right? The Bible has the answer to hatred, to racism. Um, And what we're going to be doing here, kind of to give you a framework, is we want to define kind of critical race theory, uh, give you guys just a basic framework for what it's trying to teach and what it's trying to say. And there's a narrative going on in our culture right now that's basically saying all of America is racist to the core, right? And it's pervaded all of these different areas of society. And there are evidences and statistics and things that they point to in order to support these arguments, right? And so we want to look at that evidence. We want to look at that data, and we want to say, well, does that data support the conclusion that all white people are racist, right, that there is systemic racism in our country? Um, Because I think what we'll see is when you look at it, they're using this as a narrative in order to bring about a different sort of cultural or societal change. Um, And so as, you know, as heresies or as bad teachings come into the church, going back to apologetics, we need to be able to think through these things biblically, just like we think through arguments for the existence of God. We need to be able to bring evidence and reason, you know, sound thinking to this topic. So... Where 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 do you want to start this conversation, Tony? Well, let's oh, make. Let me send out the number, please. If you uh, this this show is a listener supported show, um, we exist for our listeners. We want to converse with you. If you agree, if you would disagree, you know, if you have objections or questions, please call in. You know, we want to discuss these things openly, honestly, lovingly with people whether you agree or disagree. So please call. The number is 888-995-KKLA. That's 888-995-5552. So So to do justice to what BLM is trying to accomplish, let's make their case for them. Let's give you one example of what they're arguing uh, as far as systemic racism. So this is typical of all their arguments. Mm-hmm. Um, let's run through some quick numbers. In 2017, there were approximately 480,000 black people in prison. There were around 440,000 white people in prison. Black people make up around 13% of the population, and white people make up around 76% of the population. When you do all the numbers, they state correctly that black people are around six times as likely to be imprisoned as white people. Right. Therefore, there must be systemic racism, and that's the only reason to to explain those numbers. Right. Right. So the idea is for every one white person that goes to jail, six black people are going to jail. Exactly. So there's a a huge imbalance there. Right. There must be some prejudice, discrimination, racism happening. So let's pause for a moment. Is that the only reason that could explain that number? Uh, a hatred for 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 black people for black as people. A systemic racism? Absolutely not. 
there could be multiple reasons to explain that number. Before we dive into the, um, the data to explain why that number isn't necessarily racist, I want to help you think about this in a logical way. Mm-hmm. I want to give you an illustration to help you think it through the logic. On one street, there are two houses. In both houses, there are two brothers who live in each house. In the first house, one brother robbed a bank and he was sent to jail. Mm-hmm. In the second house, both brothers robbed a bank and they were both sent to jail. In the first house, the incarceration rate is 50%. In the second house, the incarceration rate is 100%. Now, there's a disparity there. Mm-hmm. One's 50%, one's 100%. Mm-hmm. Is that proof that the system is biased against house number two? What do you think, Jason? Well, if 100% of the people in house number two went to jail mm-hmm. and only 50% of the people in house number one went to jail, does that mean they, there, was, there was prejudice towards house number two? Right. Um, not necessarily. Right. Because I gave you the facts, the reasoning behind that number. Right. So if I just looked at the incarceration rate, you might think there's something amiss. Right, 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 right. But because you know why there's a difference. And then house number three, there's two brothers, and none of them go to jail because none of them robbed a bank. Right. So what should so we be looking at instead of incarceration rate? Uh, why they went to jail? I don't the behavior, <laughs> right? The behavior. Right. We should be looking at the behavior, not just the incarceration rate. Right. In fact, when you look at this example, the incarceration rate means nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a relevant piece of information. The incarceration rate is just, it is what it is. Right. Right. It's an it's a artifact of the behavior of the people in each house. Mm-hmm. Right. Proves nothing. So house number two, both, both people committed crimes, both people went to jail. Right. The more people that commit pr- crimes, the more that go to jail. Right. You can't just show me a higher incarceration rate in community X and say that there is bias against that community mm-hmm. based on just that number. Right. So did you want to jump into some of the reasons why that uh, that number can be explained from other facts yeah let's look at let's look at some of the the underlying data yeah i mean that might help explain some of that specifically that that issue with blacks being six times as likely as whites to be uh imprisoned Mm -hmm. when i redid the number numbers for 2019 rather than 2013 that i showed you Mm -hmm. it's the numbers came out uncannily exact Um, When we look at the issue of murder, you go through all the numbers of how many murders were committed by blacks and how many were committed by white people. Mm -hmm. It turns out that black people committed murder at a rate six times as often as white people. Now, we're just looking at murder. There are other crimes that can land you in jail. Mm -hmm. But that's just a placeholder so we can just look at one thing at a time. Okay. Right? So... Just that number, why, why doesn't the BLM organization highlight that number, mm-hmm. right? Because it doesn't fit their narrative. Mm-hmm. When you look at behavior, the crime statistics, for reasons we will discuss, the black community is engaged in serious crime significantly more often than the rest of the population. Mm-hmm. So the higher incarceration rates are justified by the behavior, Right. 
And we could go through maybe a, just a few other, uh, other right. data points if you want. Okay, so you said it doesn't fit their narrative. So the idea here is um, like they want a, a particular – they want to frame the, the topic a certain way. And so they frame it as uh, systemic racism. Right. Right. Um, why do they want that narrative to be the, the narrative that they um, portray? Well, now we're going to – we have to get into their motive. Mm-hmm. Right, I can't read their minds, mm-hmm. but I can only guess. But right? we can look at the underlying worldview and the underlying teachings. Right. Right. So when we hear teaching like we just talked about at the very beginning of the show from Ashley Shackelford, mm-hmm. you clearly hear a hatred for white people. It's not just teaching facts. I know all whites are not racist. I know all whites are not going to be racist forever. Mm-hmm. And I know white people aren't demons, right? Mm-hmm. And she's not a one of. Um, other people in that movement who, who have adopted that right. ideology repeat so, the same talking points. So what we don't want to do is show her this shocking these shocking statements coming from her, and we don't want that. We don't want people to think that we're just picking this out of thin air and using it as like a single example. And us saying, well, look, this represents everything that they stand for. We don't want to use a broad brush. Because that is kind of what we're saying is happening. What what, what BLM, the organization, is doing is they're they're taking this one statistic and they're using it to paint the whole, Mm -hmm. let's say, like uh, police system as systemically racist, right? Yeah. And so we don't want to do that same thing, right? So this this lady, Ashley Shackelford. Shackelford has these very alarming, shocking statements. But let's look at a couple other sources um, within the BLM movement or something and see what they say. Um, Let's let's talk about Nick Cannon. He's a a comedian formerly married to Mariah Carey. Mm -hmm. Um, He references Louis Farrakhan as one of his teachers. So you see a problem right there. He's a nation of Islam, a very, very racist, anti-white person. Okay. I don't even... Um, pause for a moment to say that Louis Farrakhan is racist. Mm-hmm. Okay, he, that's well documented. But let's let's look at the 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 main points of this interview with Nick Cannon. He said that white people had no compassion, and because of a uh, the lack of melanin, they're somehow in his weird science being destroyed by the sun, and because of that, they are fear driven. They have low self esteem, and he says this that they're evil. They rob, steal, rape, and kill to survive. He called them savages, barbaric, and animals. And again... Closer would, to animals. Yeah, closer to animals yeah. than the rest of humanity. So I would play this clip. Again, we have issues with copyright uh, mm-hmm. laws. But um, when you listen to that speech, or that interview, he starts to sound like Adolf Hitler teaching eugenics. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's creating fake science. He says that people are melanated. Right. Melanin is the pigment in skin that makes people darker or lighter. Mm -hmm. Somehow people who are melanated are superior. Right. Um, We can uh, talk about a lady named Yesra Kogali. She is the founder of Black Lives Matter 
Toronto, in one of her tweets that she deleted, she said, whiteness is not humanness. In fact, white skin is subhuman. Um, She said, white people are recessive genetic defects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is uh, alarming. This is kind of shocking to see this sort of language and this sort of framing. um, Because... You you know eugenics mm-hmm. right? Um, if you can get people to believe that a certain group of people is actually subhuman, um, closer to animals, as you know Nick Cannon mentioned in his in that uh, video, you you can get them to justify or rationalize all and sorts of yeah. harmful behaviors towards people that they see as subhuman. Right. Here's the interesting thing. Yesra Kogali ends her tweet with this phrase, we are superhumans. So think about it. Whites are subhuman, according to Yesra Kogali, the founder of BLM Toronto, but black people are superhuman. Isn't it sounding Mm -hmm. like Adolf Hitler? Mm -hmm. And here's another interesting fact. BLM has never condemned any of these outrageous statements. Mm -hmm. By their silence, they are approving of it. Now, I would invite them to publicly and loudly um, reject these things and denounce these things. I don't think it's going to happen. Right. Yeah, so there you have three examples, right? You have Ashley Shackelford. You have Nick Cannon, Yusra Kagali, founder of BLM Toronto, all saying fairly similar similar things. You know, they each have this kind of similar thread of white people being subhuman or mm-hmm. animals um, and being completely and utterly racist to the core. Yet they pretend to be anti-racist. Right. Which has a specific meaning in that pe- group of people. Right. Being anti-racist is not just being against racism. It means you need to physically and violently fight people because you, they don't agree with you. Right. Yeah, so that's that's a pretty dangerous teaching, which is why not only do we want to try and show people why this is false based on the evidence, but also as we see it coming into the church, we need to be very, very kind of concerned and kind of raise awareness to try and bring people back to what the Bible does say about us and how we can go about remedying this situation. So you are listening to the Apologetics.com radio show, and we will be back right after these brief messages. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Everyone has ideas about God. Unfortunately, many people hold false ideas about him. And these ideas have consequences. Some false ideas have led people to worship a God of their own making, while others have led people to reject God altogether. This year, we've devoted an entire conference to answering the most common false ideas about God. Is God anti-gay? Is God good? Do Muslims and Christians worship the same God? These are just a few of the topics we'll be addressing. The only way to guard against false ideas is to fill our minds with true ideas. So join me and a number of other speakers at one of this year's Rethink Apologetic Student Conferences. Find out more information about Rethink by going to RethinkApologetics.com. That's RethinkApologetics.com. We're at war. It's not a war of bombs and bayonets. It's not a war against flesh and blood. In fact, it's not a physical war at all. It's a spiritual war. That's why Paul instructs us to put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
The devil's primary scheme is deception. He wants us to believe false ideas about God. And the only way to guard against false ideas is to fill our minds with true ideas. Simply put, we combat deception with truth. It's unfathomable to imagine sending young men and women off to fight a physical war without proper training. Yet, when it comes to spiritual warfare, we do this all the time. The vast majority of our students are simply not prepared for the spiritual battle that awaits them. At this year's Rethink Apologetic Student Conferences, we're training students to counter the lies of the enemy. Lies like God does not exist, God is anti-gay, Muslims and Christians worship the same God are just a few of the false ideas we'll be addressing. So join me and a number of other speakers at one of this year's Rethink Apologetic Student Conferences. Find out more information about Rethink by going to RethinkApologetics.com. That's RethinkApologetics.com. The mission of Apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that Apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to Apologetics.com and click Donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to Apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting Apologetics.com. All right, let's get back to the Apologetics.com radio show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Apologetics.com radio show. Thanks for hanging with us. We are in the second half of our show, and tonight we are talking about critical race theory. We're talking about the BLM organization. We are talking about the importance of us as apologists um, being able to kind of bring truth to bear on the situation, and we are looking at some of the the underlying narratives that are being taught not only in all of you know different levels of government in different corporations, but also, as we showed in the first half of the show, this teaching is creeping into the Christian church, right? And if this is a unbiblical notion, if if this whole framework of uh, systemic racism in our culture is not truly supported by the evidence that they point to, and we looked at some of that evidence and and why it doesn't support that conclusion, well, then to adopt it as um, something that we need to be teaching in our church is not a healthy thing, right? And, if, and there are also some, some very um, destructive kind of um, conclusions that you could lead to um, in this that undermine, you know, part of the biblical solution to this, right? Like um, the the true gospel. Um, we as apologists, as Christians, need to be able to understand these things and work through them and talk through them um, in a loving manner. And so that's what that's what Tony and I have been trying to do tonight. And we we kind of touched on BLM, what they believe, and we showed a few different lines of reasoning. Um, from different voices that show a consistency of thought 
and a consistency of what they're teaching. Um, we're not trying to just pull one person that maybe says something um, shocking and point to that as representative of the entire movement, but we've shown from you know various angles that this is a consistent kind of thread that goes through their teachings. Um, you know, as Christians, though, if there is a problem, so we, we do see a real problem. Um, it is true that, you know, black people are incarcerated uh, six times more than white people, you know, and we've, we've shown that, you know, systemic racism isn't the reason why. It is really a matter of behavior, right? If, if you have a group of people who are more inclined to commit crimes, then they're going to wind up being incarcerated more often than the other group of people who doesn't commit as many crimes. That's just a simple uh, fact of the matter. Um, so we need to understand that. And But we do want to say, well, why is this happening? If it's not systemic racism, well, what is it? And that's where Christians should truly be concerned, right? Christians should want to come alongside and bring light and love to that situation and to help diagnose it and to help solve it, right? Um, and we know that that ultimately is done through, you know, being born again in the gospel. Um, but we have, to, we have to look at these problems and try and understand how we can go about building stronger um, solutions that help, help this community and who, that we love and care for. Um, and so that's kind of what we've been talking about. I want to throw out our number again if you're out there uh, driving in your car, listening online. We'd love to chat with you if you agree or disagree or have questions or comments. You can reach us at 888-995-KKLA. That's 888-995-5552. So let's, let's try to understand that, Tony. What, you know, why is this happening? I know you've dug up more kind of statistics and things um, that maybe help to point why is this happening. Why is the incarceration rate six times higher uh, for black people than it is for white people? Right. And the question could be rephrased, why is the black community committing more crimes than the rest of sure. society in general? Um, we even have people on the opposite political spectrum from ourselves openly stating the reason a few years ago. And I suspect that they will not state the same reasons today because they've moved on. I'm speaking specifically of Don Lemon, the CNN anchor, who right. boldly stated the reason why. He said fatherlessness is a uh, train ride straight to prison. Mm -hmm. And that is really the key. Fatherlessness in the black community is destroying the black community, but it's also destroying white community, Hispanic community, Asian community, every community. America and the world is being destroyed from the inside out, starting with the sexual revolution. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're seeing the outcome of that destructive movement play out for us in two generations. Okay. Um, let's, let's look at fatherlessness. In the United States, black fatherlessness is reported to be approaching 72%. Wow. In the white community, it's about 33%. Mm. 
Okay. Do you see why there's a disparity between black and white crime? Mm-hmm. Let's look at some other facts. A study of adolescents convicted of homicide in adult court found that at the time of crime, 81% had parents who were never married or were divorced or separated. Only 19% had married parents. Okay. Um, here's another one. Boys who are fatherless from birth are about three times as likely to go to jail as peers from intact families. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Among married two-parent families, whether white or black, the crime rate was very low. The economic benefit of marriage are not limited to the middle class. Some 70% of never married mothers would be able to escape poverty if they were married to the father of their children. Think about that. Mm. 70% of the single moms who are in poverty mm-hmm. would not be in poverty if they had only been married to the father of their children. So marriage is Huge. a key, right? Yeah. Here's another one. Students who were living with both parents in intact families had consistently higher reading and math scores. Their peers from other living arrangements, in other words, divorced or never married, um, socioeconomic factors reduced but did not account for this correlation. So let me rephrase that. Higher wealth didn't significantly improve the outcome of children who lived in broken homes. So if you're born to a single mom, it doesn't matter if she's rich. Mm-hmm. You have a higher chance of suffering lower reading scores, going to jail, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Another way of saying it is you're better off growing up in an intact poor family than a rich broken family. Right. These are facts. Right, right, right. Yeah. So a mom and a dad in a poor, lower class family, those children are much less likely to wind up committing crimes, going to jail, right. than, say, a rich family who come from a broken home. Yeah, and it's, it's sort of pure, brutal arithmetic. Mm-hmm. When you have a mother and father together both earning versus breaking that unit up. Right. Now you have, if you break it up, you have two homes you have to support. Yeah. All, automatically, a bunch of people will fall below the poverty line because of that extra cost. Mm-hmm not to mention all the other socioeconomic effects associated with lacking a father in the life of a child. Right. So here's where I see an opportunity for Christians, for the church, right? If you want to, if you want to solve, if you want to help move this needle um, away from this you know, picture of a high amount of black incarceration— Begin work towards strengthening families in those communities, right? We really should begin doing it in all communities, right? But begin, you know, work towards, work with ministries who are focused on building strong marriages, you know, strong families. You know, that in itself could do so many things to help uh, change this picture mm-hmm. that we see. And, and, we see that this picture, you know, there's there's obviously a, a, another narrative that we've talked about. You know, they're trying they're trying to point to just systemic white racism as the the reason why all of this is happening. And I think it's important the way they define racism in critical race theory 
is prejudice, right? That's what we think of it. Racism is prejudice, right? It's like hatred for another person just based on they look different from you, mm-hmm. really. Um, but they say, no, it's racism is prejudice plus power. Let's break that down. Yeah, and just because part of what we've been doing tonight is showing how this has infiltrated the church. And I have several friends that I've worshipped side by side with in church over the years who I've talked to about this. And, you know, one friend I was talking to recently um, kind of helped clarify this in my mind. He basically was saying racism is this prejudice plus power. Right. So you've heard it personally. I've heard it personally, yeah, from someone in the church, a Christian, right, who basically told me that, um, like, let's say a, 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 if a white person hates a, a, a person of a minority, um, it is racism. But if that minority hates the white person just because of their whiteness, it's not racism. And the reason is because that white person is part of the, quote, unquote, like, power powerful uh, ethnicity or color. Institutional power. Yeah. And so that white person can be a racist and, and exhibit racism, but the other person, it can never go the other direction. It's a one-way street. Right. So in critical race a, theory— That's a false definition oh, based on Scripture. Yeah. They, re, they redefine words all the time to promote a narrative, a false narrative. Right. So because of this definition that they've created, racism is prejudice plus power. Right. Only whites can be racist, is right. what they're saying. They are the power, right? And blacks and other people don't have America. power, right. right? And beyond that, black people can't be racist, right? So they exonerate all black people, and they condemn all white people, right? By this weird definition of racism. Mm-hmm. So let's just pre- let's give it to them for a moment. Let's say racism is prejudice plus power, mm-hmm. but they have to add the other argument that blacks have no power. Mm-hmm. Is that true? I, I say that's patently false and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Let's use a scenario. Let's say you, you and I are sitting in a restaurant and we have a black waiter. He seems to be in a lower level of power than us as the customer, right? Mm-hmm. But if he doesn't like us because of our race, prejudice, right? Does he have power to hurt us? Most definitely. He could do something to our food and have us killed. Sure, That's power. If you want to... Define racism as prejudice plus power. Everyone has power. Right. On so some we, level, right? Yeah. We reject every redefinition of words mm-hmm. that uh, critical race theory tries to foist on the world. Right. Let me read to you from James, okay? Yes. James chapter 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly... And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So there you have it, right? It's called the sin of partiality, which is a form of prejudice, right? Which is really what racism is. It's a form of prejudice. And James is saying, have you not done something evil by th- even thinking that way, right? If, and it goes on in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. 
let's take the sword of the word and slice into critical race theory two more times. Critical race theory assumes white people are automatically guilty in any judgment, right? Because they have power, they have money, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Exodus 23.3, you shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. How about Leviticus 19.15? You, right. you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, right. nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. Mm. The Bible commands us to look at the facts, the behavior, right? right? Don't assume a rich person or a white person or a black person or a poor person is guilty. Mm-hmm. Look at the facts. Yeah. It condemns critical race theory. It right. condemns the foundation of the Black Lives Matter movement, right. not the words Black Lives Matter. Right. Yes, very important. And I think we could tie another, we could tie this together a little bit more for our listeners. Um, if, if, if critical race theory defines racism as prejudice plus power, right? Mm-hmm. What, is the, what is that fundamental thing? that they need to destroy in order to get rid of racism? Well, they, they tell you that they want to burn the system down. You need to destroy the power. You need to rob and strip that white community of all power. Right. And until you've done that, until you've destroyed that and made them powerless, there will always be racism. So there's only one solution, and it's to basically— Burn the system down. Yeah. But here, here's the thing that they don't tell you. Right. Okay. You can burn the system down, but the white people will still be there. Right. The white people will rebuild the system. If you notice the hateful words we quoted from these people, mm-hmm. they're, they're setting people up, I believe, for really bad things sure. to get rid of white people. Right. Okay. Because you can't get rid of the system without getting rid of the people as well. And it brings you back to this idea that they're they're trying, you know, we've seen three different examples in the first half of our show of of them basically describing white people as subhuman. Right. Right. So it kind of, again, it creates them as objects that don't have dignity and worth and value that people may be more likely to commit you know, harmful crimes against. I see what's happening in this country and in the world, very similar to what was happening in 1930s Germany, mm-hmm. what happened in the Cultural Revolution in China. Um, this c- could easily, if left unchecked, lead to mass murder. And I'm not being uh, paranoid You're here. You're not trying to be just alarmist no. or anything. Anyone right. who teaches You're hatred for to, an entire race tr- needs to be called out. Right. We're trying to be wise as serpents, but gentle as doves, right? We're trying to look at the situation, look at what's happening, and try to say, okay, where are they headed with this, right? Because another thing that these people have said, the founders of the BLM organization, is that they are trained Marxists, Marxists. right? They have openly said that. And if people don't understand Marxism, um, it's basically a worldview system that looks at creating this dichotomy between the oppressed and the oppressor, right? Right. And so you try to create 
these groups of people who are at each are in conflict with each other. And if they're not in conflict with each other, you're going to create the conflict. Mm-hmm. You'll create the conflict, right? And so they've done this: rich versus poor, you know, male versus female. You know, there's powerful versus weak. There's black versus white. There's red versus blue. There's, right. You know, straight versus gay, and so on and so forth. This has been happening over the past, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty years, like very, very more rapidly, um, and it's creating these dichotomies where people are kind of at each other's throats. Um, right. It looks like we do have a caller um, that I wanted to jump over to before we get too close to the end of the show. looks like we have Victor from Anaheim. Victor, thanks for calling. You're on the air with Apologetics.com. Hey, thank you, folks. I really appreciate what you guys do. It's awesome. I, I, I try to listen to you guys every time I get off of work, and it, it just, it's just tremendous things that you guys do for for everyone that listen to you guys but going back to the topic and uh, and and i really agree with you guys that every time every time there's racism or anything within the community it all comes to family values and uh and basically uh uh the education that you get from from the parents whether they're single parents or not but i i, I keep giving these principles to my family that is nothing to to obey and practice uh, family values and um, and and basically that's where where you get all these um, you know benefit of benefit of getting into uh, uh, living a greater you know a better life mm-hmm. and get your 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 family towards a better um, understanding of how to uh, basically um, you know respect each other in, in within that community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the the importance of having a, a, a strong family unit um, makes a huge difference for for having kids, children who uh, grow up to be good members of you know society. Jesus said, "Seek yeah. first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you." You obey God, and because God is wise and His plan is perfect. All these other good things tend to come along. Correct, mm-hmm. like like I say, family values, uh, principles. Whether it doesn't matter what religion you're in, whether you're Christian, Catholic, and all that, but everything has to come from from the base of the family. That way, you've been oriented by either a single mom or single dad. Doesn't really matter. But you know, when they, when it comes to that, you know, is 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 you know, statistically speaking, when you know both of the parents are together, you know, it's better. To, to enforce the, the, the education, but mm-hmm. in reality, when, when both of the parents, whether single or not single parents, when they, 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 they practice the foundation or the basic of uh, fam, you know, family orientation, whether it's you know, uh, uh, principles and all that, is, that's where it comes from, basically coming from a good, good-oriented family. And sadly, when, it, when people come from a broken family, that's where they start getting, getting, uh, you know, um, getting into basically trouble and, you know, incarceration mm-hmm. and uh, committing crime. And that's, after that, the social, economic and the social behavior start getting in place into the people's mentality. And that's where, where, where we, we, we're going to, you know, into racism and all these, all these factors. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely yeah. right, Victor. The nuclear family is God's gift to mankind. And the nuclear family is exactly what the Black Lives Matter movement 
their organization officially attacks. In their What We Believe page, what they recently took down, said they want to disrupt the nuclear family. And what does that have to do directly with Black Lives Matter? Nothing, except they're Marxists. Exactly. I do agree. Exactly. And that's just unbelievable how uh, uh, everyone is losing losing characters, losing principles, losing values, losing the way they they, they think they live. Because not even, uh, you know, with all the respect, youngsters or older people, they're we're all losing we're all losing all those principles. And it's just sad because uh, it's just it's just unbelievable the way the world is coming into. It's just it's just it very. Is. It's very sad. Yeah, we got a lot of work to do, don't we? Oh, my God. Yeah, definitely a lot, a <laughs> lot, a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Victor, we appreciate your call. Thanks for the encouragement. Thanks for the comment. We pray you'd keep, well, you keep for, listening and keep calling. We appreciate it. Thank you for, uh, thank, thank you for taking my call. And uh, uh, once again, congratulate you, folks, for the tremendous job you're doing, getting the, 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 the good, the good uh, word out there. Thank you so much. Thanks, Victor. God thank bless, you. man. Bye-bye. Can we share one proof that the system is not racist before we jump to the end? Yeah. So, you know, the whole argument against, you know, our system of government, our whole society is that the whole system is racist. Mm -hmm. And they bring out statistics to try to suggest that. I I want you to look up statistics of African immigrants. When you look at, for instance, one measure of success, which is the rate at which different groups obtain college degrees, the U.S. population has a degree rate of about 31%. In other words, 31% of the adults in the United States have a college degree. With uh, U.S.-born blacks, it's about 19%. And BLM and critical race theory would say that's proof of racism. But I would say, hold on dig deeper into the data. When you look at uh, immigrants, black immigrants from Nigeria, their rate of getting college degrees is 59%. 59% black immigrants from Nigeria versus the U.S. population being 31. So right. there is no way that a systemically racist system will allow black immigrants to outperform whites by that much. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great example just to show that <clears throat> there really there there doesn't seem to be a systemic bias uh towards all black people just, you know, in that in that particular example of uh you know, college degrees is just one example. Um but we are winding down to the end of our show. We do want to leave you guys with kind of a path forward, right? Um as Christians, as believers, you know, we believe uh, the only way to truly deal with race issues is to proclaim the truth of God's word and the gospel. You know, we talked about fatherlessness being a, a root cause of some of this. Um, work on strengthening families. Work on strengthening uh, marriages. You know, pour into people. Pour into your neighbors you know, right, around you. You know, um, do do as much as you can to point people to Christ. You know, we need to understand that we all we all have a problem and it's called sin and the solution is only in Christ, right? Race issues will never truly be dealt with as they need to be um until people come to the understanding that we all belong to uh Adam's race, you know, one race. We're all one family. We're all sinners in need of salvation. Uh, we need to love our neighbors as ourselves. 
Uh, we need to be reminded of how Jesus taught us to pray, uh, to forgive our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. We need to recognize where we have sin in our own hearts in these areas. Um, and remember that um, you know we as Christians have become part of the most, most ethnically diverse and sanctified gathering in all of history. Um, from Revelation 7-9, you know, there'll be a great multitude in heaven that no one can number from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and we will all stand before the throne of the Lamb to worship Him. And that's the goal. We want everybody to be reconciled to God so we could worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so thanks for listening. Thanks for the calls. Uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in. And until next Friday, this is Jason Gallagher with Apologetics.com saying keep the faith.